Welcome back to Future Prairie Radio, where we look at modern futurism through the lens of the arts, humanities, and culture. I'm your host, Joni Whitworth, and this is Season 1, Episode 10, A Place to Go, with Jacqueline Gao. My name is Jackie Gao. I am a ceramic artist. Jackie makes narrative, symbolic ceramic art, as well as laser-etched tableware and planters. She's also a scholar of international migration and public policy at the London School of Economics and Political Science, and previously worked on the Family Reunification Program for the International Rescue Committee, or IRC, where she represented and advocated for her clients' human rights. I visited Jackie at her art studio in what used to be the Immigration Building in Seattle. At first, we were trying to think of how ceramics might be used in the future. Well, like maybe we'll just all be drinking smoothies out of a straw in the future. We won't need ceramic stuff at all. Do you think that's possible? Uh, yes, definitely. Soylent? Yes, so creepy. Soylent? But Jackie's art is quite relevant to discussions of the future as we grapple with a federal government shutdown while divisive rhetoric around the potential construction of a southern border wall rages on. We can't have sensible discussions around options for our future without looking, at least in part, through the lens of the past. And ceramics are one of humanity's oldest art forms. Jackie spoke with me about her art practice, the American dream, sustainability in ceramics, and her favorite form of tableware, a hybrid of a bowl and a plate that helps reduce food waste and is suitable for meals from almost any culture or cuisine. Given her passion for human rights and migration policy, today felt like a poignant time to bring you Jackie's interview. It's the 74th anniversary of the liberation of Auschwitz. After you hear from her, in honor of International Holocaust Remembrance Day, I'd love to share with you some fundamentals of human rights. And now, here's Jackie. I like using my hands. I'm a visual person, a visual learner, so I can move my hands and manipulate clay into a form I want. Like I can lift the 25 bags, uh, pound bags of clay that I use. Like I can use my body and it's strong and I can help move things and I, I like that. And I like that same thing with ceramics that it's got some meat to it and it has, yeah, it has a, a strong structure. I think it teaches patience, so I enjoy that part of it. It's an often long process from the beginning to the end. Being in such a computer world, it's nice to be able to produce something that you can see and that it has function as well. Most of my work is tableware that you can use to have your work in other people's homes, uh, one that they touch either with a fork or their hands or they with their mouth when it's a mug. It's really kind of intimate space that you get to be in people's worlds. You don't know it, but when people say, hey, I use your mug every morning, It's really interesting to be a part of their world in that way. Different cultures have very different styles of of, uh, tableware they use. This plate maybe doesn't serve a function for the foods that someone is eating. I love the bowl plate, which is a bowl-like plate, and um, it's a form to avoid the... um, you're trying to get the last of your meal off your plate and then it just goes over the small lip you have right onto the table. So it's a place for the fork to get in touch with, to 
essentially be able to eat more of the food you have on your plate. That's my favorite form. It's easy to wash, it's easy to clean. You can use many different foods on that. I do think a lot about the past with ceramics. I mean, it's 10,000 years old. It's kind of a slow art form as well. It takes a long time to process and, and the firing uh, schedule takes a while, but I think a lot about how People have done this for a long time and, and what materials they were using and very much using the materials they had around them. So that's why there's black pottery in Oaxaca and that's why there's really uh, pure white porcelains out of China. It's like those are the materials they had around. And now we have access to a lot of materials from wherever. Um, thanks to globalization, we can really get any of these materials, even though they're not native to where we are. So I think a lot about acquiring materials to make the glazes and to make the clay. The ceramic is very permanent. It's a very permanent thing. Once you fire it, it you can't re recycle it at that point. In terms of the future, I think about environmental impacts of firing. It uses materials. It uses it uses raw materials from the ground that are mined, that we can or may run out of at some point. It uses natural gas and electricity. Though there's so much recycling in the process, you can, any material you haven't fired yet of clay, you can reuse. And so there's, if you catch any sort of mistakes or you don't like that form, you can recycle it so quickly and that's really beautiful. But I think a lot about how we can make it greener. We're here at my ceramic studio. We're in the International District in Seattle in the previous immigration building. This used to be the old immigration building where people became citizens and also where people were detained. My parents received their citizenship here in this building on the main floor many years ago. I remember the day that they came home because I was born in the United States and the only member of my family that was born in the United States. So I'm automatically a citizen, but the rest of my family are not. I remember it being a definitive day that before they were these other people, and they used the word alien back then too, when you weren't actually a citizen. So that day they were Americans. In Early 2016, I was finding a way, I was trying to find a way to contribute my energy into something beyond my ceramics, and I applied to be a volunteer at the International Rescue Committee at their office in Seattle. And at that point, they had an eight-month wait list to even go to a volunteer orientation. And this is before election of 2016, so they had lots of interest. So I applied in January, or I put my name down on the list in January in 2016, uh, and then in August I went to orientation to be a volunteer. And at that point, I just thought I would start as a front desk volunteer. They need people to greet people. I had worked as a receptionist a long time ago, and I said, okay, I'll do this. My first day at the IRC was the Tuesday after the election of 2016. I was in shock and uh, didn't know, yeah, I didn't know how much that was gonna change my life. Um, showing up at the IRC and having the response of the presidential election of President Trump and his 
policies be such a big part of the people's lives that I was working with. And I became um, the volunteer in charge of one of the family unification programs called the Affidavit of Relationship. That program meant that every Tuesday I worked with refugees and helped them apply for their family members to join them in, in the United States. The International Rescue Committee is an uh, organization in part founded by Albert Einstein, some of the other refugees out of uh, Germany during World War II. It's an organization that provides uh, aid to refugees and um, immigrant populations all over the world. It's in 40 different countries. And what's fascinating about the IRC is that they have employees at all parts of the refugee process. So they have people in the war-torn countries where people are fleeing. They have people at refugee camps in the bordering countries to those, um, to those countries in turmoil. And then they have people along the way um, on the pathway for flights to get people to the United States. And then they have people at the home countries of where the refugees are arriving. So they have people at all level and insight into into potential solutions to make the process better. Refugee policy has been bipartisan for years and years and years. And actually the most refugees that arrived in the United States came under Ronald Reagan. And then secondarily was were George W. Bush. This is not something that is is related to Republicans or Democrats. It's inspired me to try to get back to that. Like it, this is this is about human rights. It's about people having a place to go. My partner and I were looking at buying a house and I just never associated myself with home ownership and I was resistant and reluctant to the process and I was questioning the ideas of property and I studied indigenous histories and why do we say that this small plot is ours and how how do we own this thing that's part of Mother Nature? So I was going through some thoughts about that, thinking about fencing and property lines and the American dream. And one association of the American dream is the white picket fence. I went through online photos and Instagram, and there were people using the white picket fence in hashtags ironically, and there were some people that were not. They really wanted the white picket fence. I made a one quarter replicate of a white picket fence similar to what you could buy at Home Depot in white porcelain uh, slip, which is a liquid clay. And I have one that is complete and intact uh, white picket fence. And then I have one that's broken. For me, it was one of my non-functional works that I really enjoyed. And one that has been showed in a couple different uh, exhibitions in the United States. I think people see it and know the reference one way or the other, whether it's ironic or not, or complicated. Some people love the white picket fence, and they're like, oh, I love white picket fences. <laughs> and that's beautiful. People love it. I've had, there's lots of people at the studio, I was making it at the time, start taking pictures of white picket fences and showing me their pictures when they go for their walk. So people were actually responding to my art and then taking photos of the ex like the real uh, picket fences and then coming back to show me to have a conversation, which was really fascinating. I actually submitted one broken and one not broken white picket fence to a show and the juries only selected 
the one that was intact, the one that wasn't broken. And I was like, I think you're missing part of the message. Uh, clay doesn't really like to just be flat and it, it, and especially porcelain. So, I mean, the point of it is the fragility of, of the material and of the image of the American dream. I think ceramics will be a great outlet to, for me to continue to make and create and send some of that energy, negative or otherwise, into something, into a material, and use my creative process as an outlet. At the pottery studio where I learned and where I'm on the board, Pottery Northwest, they had a clay and politics exhibition, and it was amazing. The discussions around the work were really inspiring. Uh, one artist, George Rodriguez, he's from um, Texas, and his family, some of his family's from Mexico. He built this clay wall with some of these beautiful designs and had an ability for people to write how they were feeling on this uh, on this wall. And I think it, it helped people. It was an outlet for them. My interests will continue to grow as those two come together a little bit more, my ceramic and my interests in, in politics and migration. If you'd like to see more of Jackie's work, head to kustudios.co. That's c-u-studios.co. She's also on Instagram at ku.studios. Now, let's talk about human rights before we end this episode. I want to define some basic terms and share a couple resources. When we say human rights, we mean the freedoms you're entitled to by virtue of being human. Human rights are based on the principle of respect for the individual. Their fundamental assumption is that each person is a moral, rational being who deserves to be treated with dignity. They are called human rights because they are universal, whereas nations or specialized groups enjoy specific rights that apply only to them. Human rights are rights to which everyone is entitled, no matter who they are or where they live, simply because they are alive. Yet many people, when asked to name their rights, will list only freedom of speech and perhaps a couple others. The full scope of human rights is much broader. In 1948, in the aftermath of World War II, Eleanor Roosevelt, along with the United Nations representatives from all regions of the world, helped develop a universal declaration of human rights. It's the most universal human rights document in existence, as well as the most translated document in the world delineating 30 fundamental rights that form the basis for a democratic society. I'll give you a simplified version here. 1. We are all born free and equal. 2. Don't discriminate. These rights belong to everybody, whatever our differences. 3. The right to life, to live in freedom and safety. 4. No slavery. Nobody has the right to make us a slave, nor can we make anyone else our slave. 5. No torture. 6. You have rights no matter where you go. 7. We're all equal before the law. 8. Your human rights are protected by law. 9. No unfair detainment. Nobody has the right to put us in prison without good reason. 10. The right to trial. If we're put on trial, it should be public. 11. We're innocent until proven guilty. 12. The right to privacy. 13. Freedom to move. 14. The right to seek a safe place to live. If we are frightened of being badly treated in our own country, we have the right to run away to another country to be safe. 15. Right to a nationality. We have the right to belong to a country. 16. Marriage and family. Every adult has the right to marry and have a family if they want to. 17. The right to your own things. 18. Freedom of thought. 
19, freedom of expression, to make up our minds, to think what we like, to say what we think, and to share our ideas with other people. 20, the right to public assembly. 21, the right to democracy. We all have the right to take part in the government of our country. 22, social security. We all have the right to affordable housing, medicine, education, and child care with enough money to live on and medical help if we are ill or elderly. 23, workers' rights. Every adult has the right to do a job, to receive a fair wage for their work, and to join a union. 24, the right to play. We all have the right to rest from work and to relax. 25, food and shelter for all. 26, the right to education. 27, copyright. 28, a fair and free world. 29, responsibility. We have a duty to other people and we should protect their rights and freedoms. 30, no one can take away your human rights. I encourage you to read the full text of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. It's up on the United Nations website at un.org. If we know our rights well, they will be more difficult to take away, and if we see them being violated, we can intervene. If you'd like to find out more about the International Rescue Committee or find out ways to get involved or volunteer opportunities, you can visit rescue.org. And lastly, Future Prairie Radio and our Artist Collective are sponsored by Square. We really appreciate their help. Square helps artists run their businesses with secure credit card processing and point-of-sale solutions. You can find out more and get free processing on up to $1,000 in sales at squareup.com forward slash I forward slash future time. Hi, Jenny. She's doing a podcast. So she-